Welcome to the Adventure Life Podcast, where we are finding adventure in the God of every day. And now your host, Will Ratcliffe. Hey, Adventure Lifers. Welcome to episode two of the Adventure Life Podcast. I'm Will Ratliff, and I would just encourage you, if you haven't, to go back and listen to episode one. It gives some context for what I'll be talking about today, and I also define what I mean by Adventure Life, so if you haven't listened to that episode, I would, you know, it may just be helpful for you to go back and listen to that first one. So we are now two weeks into 2021. I hope your year started off well. I have to say that mine started off pretty good. Maybe couldn't have started off much better, at least for the first few days. So my family and I got to go to Colorado for a few days at the end of December, first part of January, get some much-needed mountain and ski time in. And so actually, my son and I got some skiing in with some friends, and then my daughter and wife hung out at the house where we stayed, did some shopping, explored some of the town, towns around the area. So it was pretty good. And in fact, fact, I actually wasn't even sure my son would get much skiing in. The first run of the first day in the first minute of skiing, probably the first 10 seconds, he hit a rock, did a flip, and hurt his ankle. And so then I've been having some, I've been having some issues with one of my knees. So I wasn't sure how that would go. Fortunately, after my son and I, that first day, we got a day or day and a half of rest or so, got him some new ski boots. So he was able to get back on the mountain. I was able to get back on the mountain. We got a couple more days in. I went skiing the first day of the year, so we were pretty excited to be starting off the year in the mountains with some time skiing. And of course, for my son, it's never enough skiing time. Um, I just love being in the mountains, whatever I'm doing. I'm pretty outdoorsy. I don't know if you can tell by the adventure life whole theme, but um, I've always loved being outdoors. As far as I can remember, even as a little kid, I grew up on a ranch, and I would explore the ranch where I grew up, whether it was alone or with friends. You know, I guess you could say I've loved adventure for most of my life. Nature is one of those ways I both find adventure and I really connect with God. And it's not the only way, but it's been a way that I've connected with Him just at significant points in my journey. I've lived close to mountains a couple of different times in my life in this outside the Seattle area and I always pray that God would move me to Colorado or some mountainous state, you know, and we'll talk about prayer in a few episodes and how I probably miss some things due to my own personal hangups and errors in my thinking about what God is like and how that affected my prayer life. But I digress. So the two times I lived near mountains, like I said, was outside Seattle. I definitely got my fill of adventure there. I worked at two different camps, led backpacking trips at one through the Northern Cascades, which was just amazing. And at the other one, I worked with ropes courses, zip lines, and team building. And so that's always been a big, big part of my my life as well. So I remember one place in particular from the backpacking trips it was a few miles to the wilderness into the wilderness where we would take take the youth we worked with. The young lady was in, actually in charge of the trips. And I we, we ended up calling this particular place Inspiration Point because it just consisted of this outcropping of rock that looked out over this valley, you know, mountains in the background. It was just absolutely beautiful. It was a place that we were sure to visit every trip that we went on. And many of my aha moments and revelations have come through spaces like that, through mountains or, or from personal spiritual retreats where I've gone by myself camping or into the mountains to spend some alone time praying, listening, and reflecting. Those have been some of the most impactful in my spiritual journey as well. So I used to plan spiritual retreats just about every year where I would go off by myself, you know, try to turn off the cell phone, get away from noise and distractions, spend at least a couple of days alone. And just getting rid of the noise of everyday emails, TV, 
and you know, just ask God to speak to me. I would take my Bible and journal for most of them. That's pretty much all I would take. And I would simply ask God to speak to me, to lead me to what he wanted me to read from Scripture or read you know, certain books and what he wanted me to say, what he wanted to say, what he wanted me to hear during that time. But this week, you know, I want to talk about moving out of obligation. I know I talked about it last week and touched on it briefly, but I want to do a little bit deeper dive and share some of my own journey in regards to that. So, you know, obligation is a tricky thing because you could be waist high or shoulder high or even drowning in obligation and not even know it. So I grew up in a very traditional church setting. My dad was a part-time music minister. He was an attorney by profession. Um, and then my mom played the piano for him. So in that church, it was a small town Baptist church. And the church we moved to eventually, you were expected to be there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night meal and Bible study, your prayer time or youth choir. But today that's really unusual to have that much activity, right? Or is it? Is it clothed in a different kind of busy and different kind of obligation? So now you have weekend services, or you may even have some during the week. You have small groups or cell groups and various other activities to be involved in, volunteering. Of course, now with the pandemic, you can do a lot of that online, you know, at least attend a service, quote unquote, online. And I have my opinions about online church that I'll save for a later time for a different discussion, different episode. But if you grew up in the South or in the Bible Belt, you know about obligation. So I call where I grew up in West Texas the belt buckle of the Bible Belt because it seems we are smack dab in the middle of just this super conservative and super legalistic church culture, at least when I was growing up it was. So speaking of which, you can use the term legalism interchangeably here for the the word obligation, and I even use the term religion when I talk about it because for me, religion, that word religion, it's a focus on rules and duty and law, whereas I like the term relationship when it comes to my faith. So, but even there, we have to start defining things and clarifying things, because when you say those things, people assume and have their own ideas of what they mean. So, obligation is couched in should language. Okay, I want to be careful how I say that, because it might come across in your audio not as clean. But, at you know, so what does this mean? It means as in, I should do this, or I should not do that. Obligation focuses on what I'm doing my behavior, my actions. So I go to church, I read my Bible, I go to my small group. Okay, and again, if you're just hearing this for the first time, you may be wondering, well, what's wrong with those things? What's wrong with that? And I would say, well, it depends. What's your intent for doing those things? Why? What's your why for doing those things? Is it better to be, I mean, is it to be a better Christian or to have more favor with God, to get more blessing? Because if it is, then you're living out of this obligation, And obligation, too, is way focused on behavior and the outcome of those behaviors. So I read a book a long time ago by Dallas Willard called The Divine Conspiracy. Actually, I had to read it twice because I wasn't able to finish it the first time. It was just so deep. Um, His writing is just, you know, there's such depth to it. But this writing, this book, is where I really came to understand the concept of sin management versus really living by the Spirit. So let's talk about sin management. So sin management looks at behavior. It looks at obligation. You know, obligation is steeped in behavior management. So I should go to church because that's what a good Christian does. And I need to volunteer at my church and be involved in all sorts of Christian activities and committees. I need to go on a mission trip or, you know, I really sh- shouldn't lust after that woman because God would be displeased or even angry with me or not steal from my work because God's judgment would descend upon me. So I say that kind of, te- you know, teasing a little bit here. But I'm also not making light of this. 
because this is a world I came from. And these were my thoughts and my reality until I really started learning about living and walking by the Spirit. As I've come to know the work of the Spirit, and especially the work of the cross, what Jesus did and what the Spirit continues to do, I've consistently moved out of this idea of obligation and into more and more freedom in Christ. So there's a couple of verses that have impacted me more than any other. And both are actually in the book of Romans. So the first one is Romans 8, verse 11. It says, And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. So I was reading this one day years ago, probably at least 10 or more years ago, and I'd read this verse before multiple times, I'm sure. You know, I did a read the Bible through plan in my mid-20s, so I know I at least read it then. I've probably read it you know, many times since then. But the whole phrase, living in you, when talking about the Spirit of God, just smacked me in the face. It was one of those moments, you know, where you just, it's just an aha moment. I don't know, you know how you can read something or look at something but not really see it? It was that moment that God just opened my eyes. I'm not sure how else to really describe it. And I just sat there thinking, okay, wow. So the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, the same Spirit who hovered over the waters from the creation, that same Spirit who has the power to heal and forgive and raised Jesus from the dead, that Spirit lives in me and gives me life. And if you want to learn more about the kind of life that He gives, then you need to go read 2 Peter chapter 1. But again, don't, you know, Try not to read it through a lens of obligation, because there are some verses in 2 Peter chapter 1 that you can read that way, but read it from a lens of receiving that we talked about last week when we we're, when were talking about the vine and the branch. So these are things that are available to you because of your connection with the vine. And if you haven't listened to that last week's episode yet, then pause this, go back and listen. It's only about 16 minutes or so long, and listen to the illustration I gave about the vine and the branch, because I think it would be really helpful. Okay, so this is huge, this verse, Romans 8, 11. I don't know if you see it yet, how huge this is for the Spirit of the Almighty God Himself to dwell in us, but it really is. And I pray that the Father will open your eyes to see the gift that that really is. So why do people feel obligated to do all these things? Because churches and pastors have taught for decades that if you don't live right and you don't do certain things, that God's favor, blessings, even salvation will be taken from you, and you will go to hell. So, you know, that our Christian good standing is based on our behavior, and that God's wrath is lurking behind His mercy, waiting to strike you down with a lightning bolt from on high if you mess up. I didn't quite think those things growing up, but I did have this fear of God, and this idea around being perfect and perfectionism. You know, when I was growing up, my father really struggled with anger and perfectionism, and I learned to view God in a similar way as my earthly dad. And I love my dad, and we eventually had a good relationship. But his anger tainted the way I saw God in my relationship with the Father until I learned to unlearn those things and see them for what they really were. But you know where all that behavior-based and performance-driven Christianity or view of Christianity led me? It led me to being a good little Pharisee and hiding my sinful actions and behavior, while at the same time judging other people for their sin. Ugh, guys. I can't tell you how ill that makes me when I feel, you know, when I think about it. So I have a friend who you'll meet next week, hopefully, is a plan, who calls this a yuck meter. It refers to, you know, things pegging out his yuck meter. And when I think about how prideful and judgmental I was, it totally pegs my yuck meter, y'all. 
So I've had to go through what I'll call a pharisectomy and get that little Pharisee out. It's taken some doing because as I said earlier, obligation is sneaky. It's couched in a lot of Christianese and, you know, Bible verses and holy language, but golly, is it destructive. It's destructive to ourselves and it's destructive to others. Okay, so I told you there were two verses that impacted me. So the other verse is Romans 8.1. It says this, Therefore there is now no condemnation at all for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. So there are just a couple of important phrases I want you to take note of here. One, there is no condemnation. None. Zero. Zilch. Nada. For those who are in Christ Jesus. And then the other phrase set you free. You have been set free from the law of sin and death. So what is the law of sin and death? It's talking about the Mosaic and referencing the Mosaic law here, the law of Moses. So I'm I'm not going to go into this a ton, but you need to understand that you're free. And what is freedom? What does it mean? What does it not mean? What does it look like? Well, I want to just kind of illustrate three points here. We've talked about life. The Spirit gives us life. And Jesus' purpose was to give you life, not put you under additional laws and obligation. He took care of those things, and He nailed them to the cross. And through the cross and resurrection, now we have His life living in us. But then we also have His light. And the Spirit's purpose is to give you light. It allows us to see the things and the ways that we need to align with Father in our life and have Him work in us to become more like Him. And it's not about, again, it's not about us working those things or us trying to be better or us trying to not sin. And even here, there's no condemnation when we mess up, when we make mistakes. So that's where I got it wrong for so many years. There's no guilt or shame. You can make mistakes, you can mess up, you can sin, whatever you want to call it. But there's loving light that exposes those things, and at the same time, there's love and mercy to cover them. And then he brings life to those broken places and healing. So he doesn't leave us to fend for ourselves or to work it out on our own. He's there in the midst with us to bring that healing, to bring love to those places. And again, there's love. He does all of this because of his immense love for us. He never stops loving us. He never withdraws his love from us. It doesn't matter our background. It doesn't matter our present circumstances or behavior. His love is not based on what we do. It's based on who he is. So 1 John talks about God being the very essence of love. It's his very nature and character. Y'all, I just felt like I preached a sermon right there. So I, you know, I, you know, I realized I used some scripture, and I don't apologize for that. But I also know that some of you may have a bad experience with how scripture was used in your upbringing to bring down the heavy, so to speak, or manipulate you. But you know, I am a Bible guy, I grew up reading it, but I've also had to learn how to reread it. And at some point, we'll have an episode where we talk about learning how to reread the Bible. Because I believe it's important for our growth and nourishment. But I also know there can be a lot of baggage there with some people who was either kept at arm's reach by leaders telling you that you need a degree or special training to understand it, or it was used to manipulate or abuse. And there is such a thing as spiritual abuse. We'll, again, we'll probably talk about that in another episode as well. So I have friends who've been manipulated and abused spiritually, and it's so devastating. But again, that's going to be a topic for another day. So... But we do have to be careful when we're reading the Bible. Though I believe there is a right approach and you know, right approaches, and there's some background that is helpful. But it's something that anyone can learn. And I will say that, and we'll save our Bible conversation for again for another time. And I'm not a theologian, not even an armchair theologian. Maybe more like a maybe a barstool theologian or exercise ball theologian. I don't know, something way smaller than an armchair. 
But one thing I want to mention here as well is that when you hear someone speak or preach about living by the Spirit and freedom, your spirit is going to respond because that person is talking and preaching about life. You know, there have been books I've read and people I've listened to where it's like, yes! And my spirit just feels so alive and responsive. And then there are others who I've wanted to jump up out of my seat and yell, no, it's not like that at all. Can't you people see that? But that would just be kind of awkward. And then my wife would want to crawl in a hole and, you know, that wouldn't be good. But that's why I think so many people don't connect with church. One, because they think it's irrelevant. But two, because most churches preach death. And I think they do it without even realizing. They preach law or at least a vast amount of law and obligation. And when we start hearing about the law, about our religious duty and obligation, our spirits don't come alive because we're preaching about something that's dead and that died a long time ago. But when you read or you hear about this life, you have this life in the spirit, then it should make your spirit connect with it and begin feeling more alive. Because the life you have is meant to be lived now. Scripture said that there is value to spiritual discipline both in this life and the life to come. The divine life we get to participate in so remember, read 2 Peter 1, and I'll link to it in the show notes. You can have a, a link there to reference. But that divine life we get to participate in begins the moment we believe, and it doesn't end. And then there are churches that mix messages of life and death or law and grace, so then you get this kind of spiritual bipolar disorder. So sometimes you feel alive, and sometimes you feel dead. Sometimes you connect with what's being said, and sometimes you, you're numb to it. And at times that's clothed in, well, you're just, you're just being rebellious language, when in fact your spirit is rebelling and disconnected because at those times a pastor or teacher is quite possibly preaching religion and not freedom. And if they're preaching law or religion, then they're preaching death. They're preaching that law, the spirit of the law of sin and death. So why, why would you be numb to it? And that happens a lot too because of the models we've, we've settled on as a Western church, ones where everyone has to buy into things that aren't really healthy and some not even biblical, but... We won't dive into that today, but we'll get into that yet, too. You guessed it. Guess what? In another episode. That's right. So don't you love how I do that? (laughs) But there's so much. If I went on and on and on, then these episodes would be way too long, and you would tune out and shut it off and never come back. So, But for me, diving into this freedom has changed me personally, and it's also changed quite a few of my beliefs. So there are things that that I would have said were essentials of the faith a decade or more ago that I wouldn't now. And these were things that admittedly weren't, were secondary issues, but essential secondary issues, if that makes any sense. To put it you know, in another way, there are things that won't keep you from, you know, or wouldn't keep you from getting into heaven, maybe. They're not really salvation issues, but they're not doing you any favors with God either. That's what I used to believe. Since I've come out of the ministry, I was a pastor for a number of years, and out of what I will refer to as the institu- institutional church, you know, I began to see things differently. And what, what I feel like is more clearly... I still have friends who are leaders and pastors in more traditional church structures, and I respect and I love them. There may be some things we disagree on, but I also have huge respect for them and what they do. You know, I think at the end of the day, no, I know at the end of the day, it's not about who is right or or wrong. And I also know these men and women, they love Jesus, and they're following Him in their own journey, like I'm following Him in mine, and mine has just taken me in a different direction. Okay, so gosh, how do we end this huge topic, and how would I encourage you to move forward in this area? So this is another time where you have to trust yourself. So trust what you're hearing, trust what you're feeling. A lot of obligation and religion is couched in fear. Leaders are afraid that if they don't tell you what you should do, 
that you'll get it wrong because of your evil heart. You'll go off and do something stupid, end up in hell, and that will be on them as your spiritual leader. And that's the fear that a lot of Christians have. It's a fear that, that I had. Well, guess what? That's because we didn't read or didn't believe that Jesus has given us all new hearts. When you believe you're washed clean, all sins, past, present, and future are taken care of. So you can begin to learn to trust yourself and that what you're hearing is from the Spirit. Yeah, obviously, there are checks and balances. If you're hearing from God or you think you're hearing from God that you need to go out and rob a store or have an affair, well, that's not from God. That's from your flesh. But I think the best way to learn to hear is really to practice. So invite Father to speak to you and ask Him to allow you to see where He's moving and hear what He's saying. And again, it will happen in different ways. It will take some time. And rest. Relax. I'm saying it to myself, too. The religious are bound up in busyness. The faithful aren't bound by anything, but free to move and pivot and play. Yes, I said play. So when you engage in this kind of life, it is so much fun. That's not to say it's easy or there won't be fear, anxiety, or heartache. There won't be struggles and challenges. But when you start engaging in the adventure life, you have so much enjoyment in it for yourself, your family, others. And that will be attractive to people around you and draw others into it. Can you tell I'm passionate about this topic? It's been just been such a journey in my own life. And I would encourage you this week just to go just enjoy the freedom that you have. So I pray you have a good week. Come back next week. I have a very special guest that will be joining me, author, podcaster, Wayne Jacobson, who's also a friend and mentor of mine. You won't want to miss it as we discuss the adventure of living loved. But until then, my friends, enjoy the journey.